All right, good morning, everyone. To start off our time, I'm going to read the scripture that we will be in today, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seemed weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. While the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First, our apostles. Second, our prophets. Third, our teachers. Then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the ability or do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. All right, you can turn in your Bibles if you want to 1 Corinthians 12, uh, if you want to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardback blue one somewhere around you. And um, if you're not familiar with the Bible, um, the big numbers are the chapters and the little numbers are the verses. So that should give you some uh, guidance to get there. 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament. Uh, and if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, there is a table of contents, which anybody who's been in the church a long time will lie to you and say they don't need it. But we all look it up for those Old Testament prophets. All right, First Corinthians twelve, uh, in starting in chapter twelve or verse twelve, excuse me, uh, where Stephen read from. Um, most of us, uh, if we are honest, don't like the idea of dependence. Right? We don't like the idea of having to depend on somebody else. 
Um, this is one of the things in my, um, in my early high school years, I did a lot of volunteer hours because that's part of requirements for graduation and stuff um, back then. And so I did a lot of my volunteer hours at a hospital. And so I was smart. And I would go on Sundays right after, right, actually, I would have to get up towards the end of the service and go do my volunteer hours at the hospital. And uh, you can ask my wife about that because she would always notice me leaving uh, because, you know, I mean, who wouldn't? And um, so <laughs> I would leave and put on my ridiculous uniform that they made you wear. And I would go and basically discharge patients. And one of the things I saw over and over, uh, particularly with folks who were up in their years, is they struggled with this idea of losing their independence, right? And in my ministry life, that's also been the case as I've counseled with people and talked. Um, and so we kind of, we understand it when we're children, but then we get to be adults and we live in this culture of American sort of independence. And we are discipled into this attitude of thinking, I have to be independent and autonomous from everybody and fend for myself. And there is a good side to that. But the shadow side is that to our ears, dependence can sound like a weakness or maybe even like a deficiency that always needs to be corrected. And I would venture to guess that for the most part, the people that you know not only enjoy, but they kind of take pride, at least internally, in their autonomy, right? And there's a good thing to that, right? It's good to grow up and be able to take care of yourself as an adult. But when we approach a passage in the Bible that speaks about not dependence, but interdependence in the church, um, something interesting happens because of our independentness, right? What happens is that we, we read this text or we hear it read and we think that the ideas of interdependence sound pretty nice, right? We love that idea. They had all their things together and they took care of each other. We like that. And it paints this beautiful picture of life in the gospel. We might even say we want this kind of spirituality, but then what life actually reveals is that we don't ultimately want it if it's at the expense of our independence, if it's at the expense even of our convenience. We're like, eh, that sounds nice, but not really for me. And so we might genuinely want community, but the only thing that we tend to be unwilling to pay for community is autonomy, right? when it comes to our time uh, and our energy. So as we look at the text today, uh, Paul is entering into this tension of life together. He's discussing kind of internal matters happening within the church, particularly the church at Corinth, right? That's why that's called Corinthians. It's a letter. Uh, and, and it's pretty interesting if you think about it. We're reading letters that were written like thousands of years ago, and they're still relevant to us today. He is concerned, Paul, the author of this letter, about the appropriateness of Christian worship. Uh, so there is some concern about what we do when we gather together like this. And that's what he is writing to them about. And he wants to ensure that the Corinthians' life together, not just when they're gathered, but their life together as a whole, reflects the kind of upside-down nature of the gospel that they have received, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the reality for the Corinthian church that's being written to here was that it was not being reflected, as Paul wrote to them, in their church community. They looked a whole lot like they did before they received the gospel, right? They had essentially imported the entirety of their culture into the life of the church. This is his critique to them. They're, they imported the culture of hierarchy, of classism, of sexual deviance into the life of their church. And so Paul's goal is to get them to take a hard look at themselves and to help them make a course correction 
so that their community can become what it's intended to be, which is a prophetic witness into the world that it finds itself in. So here's kind of the framework I'm going to be walking through today. The church is meant by God to be a community of complementary interdependence. That's what God intends our community to be, a community of complementary interdependence. I was talking to uh, the musicians before the service started about a, a sermon illustration I heard from a preacher that I don't really like, but he was right about this. Uh, and so, um, and I thought of another metaphor when it comes to music, right? In, 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 within the musicians, we are complementary to each other. If one of us is playing in the wrong key, it's not going to work. If one of us in the middle of a song, and this used to happen to me when I was in youth group in high school, we had a drummer who would just quit in the middle of the song and be like, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. And it would like just kill the whole thing, right? And that's a little bit of a picture of what complementary interdependence means. So all that it means is that each of us, right, each of us, not just those of us who happen to walk up on this little platform, as if that does anything, or who hold a microphone or who are teaching something, not just those of us, but each of us brings something to the table that the rest of us need. I love this word picture as well. There are kind of three ways you can think of the church and even the corporate gathering. You can think of it like a lecture hall, right? That the life of the church is based on information exchange. We come and we sit in rows like you're sitting right now, uh, which by the way, this arrangement is based on like an education model. Uh, and so we sit in rows like this and somebody passes information to us. That's kind of the lecture hall model that many of us kind of have in our minds. The, the other model is kind of the concert hall, right? Where we come to church and what we expect is an experience. And in both of those models, uh, we are the consumer if we're not up here, right? And so we sit and we consume and that's our idea of the gathering, which then trickles down to our idea of how the whole church is supposed to work. But a better way to think about it is that the church is like a banquet hall, right? A potluck. Each of us brings something to, to the table, literally, and we partake together and we all meet each other's needs. That's the picture of the church. And so Paul uses the metaphor of the body to build his case for the beauty of the church. The word in the original language is soma, which is a really beautiful word for this idea. Uh, and so verse 27 that in that text we heard says, now you are the body, the soma of Christ, and individually members of it. So we see this collectivism and we see individualism all together in one spot there. So here's where we have to really make sure we understand the differences, and this was a joke between a few of us before the service started, between our ideas of civil government and the church, right? I want you to hear this really clearly. The church does not function as a collection of separate individuals. That is not what the church is. The church does not even function like a democracy, right? The church is not a democracy, it's also not ruled by earthly kings, so don't get that idea. Uh, in the church, the idea of having a 51 to 49% victory is not a victory in the church. That's not how things are supposed to work. We don't split up along you know, sectarian lines. We don't split up along party lines. We are far more vitally connected to one another than that. The church functions as a soma, as a body. And so consider our own bodies, right? I know you're probably going to think of the last time you did this really badly, but think of, think of the last time you stubbed your toe, like, really hard, right? Man, it hurts so bad, right? So what reacts to that? Just our toe? We just stub our toe and look down and go, oh, my toe. 
No, right? Everything from our toe up reacts. Our leg reacts. We might fall on the floor. Our mouth might react in a way that we wish it didn't react, right, and say some words we could wish to take back. We cringe. We, our eyes might well up with tears. Our tear ducts react. Like everything reacts all together all at once, right? There's no individual decisions to be made within our body. That's not how it works. The body works seamlessly and it works organically together. It reacts as a whole unit, although it's made up of individual parts. It's not as though certain body parts can just decide to opt out when they don't feel like being that body part. And yet, the body exhibits really great diversity as well. One commentator said it this way, Diversity is no accidental attribute of the body. It is of its very essence. No one member is to be equated with the body. It takes many members to make up one body. I'm going to call Rod out here a little bit because he told me a funny story that happened when he maybe got into an argument and he will tell you this story. And somebody said, well, did the board approve this? And what did you say, Rod? I am the board, board, right? (laughs) Right? And we all know that in, in the heat of a moment, maybe we would say something like that. But actually, that statement doesn't make sense, which is why it's funny. And, and this is my critique of some of the things that you're seeing in kind of the Christian world online right now, is that too many churches are the personality of the leader, right? No one person is the church. That's just not how this works. I am not my whole family. I am part of my family. And in my family unit, right, you might say I'm the leader of my family along with my wife. But I am not my family, and yet I am part of my family. It's it's a little bit like that. We all know this, again, from our bodies, this metaphor. Toes are not like ears. Eyes are not like elbows, right? And their diversity is not a hindrance to their unity. This is really important. It's not a hindrance to their unity, but instead it's a necessity for their unity, Right? The body could not function as it does healthily if it were made up of just elbows or ears. Right, That would not work. Paul wants church members to see ourselves as really integrally tied to one another like the various members of the human body. Now, there is also a shadow side to this doctrine where you take it so far that abusive, toxic behavior gets hidden because we can't ever leave a body. And I'm not saying that, so don't hear me say any of that. But the beauty of interdependence is grounded on each of our indispensability. Right? I want you to think about that. All of us who call this church home are indispensable to the body that this church represents. In his book on this text, there's a New Testament scholar named Ben Witherington. He said this, Paul's emphasis is that no particular body member can devalue another or declare it to be of no worth. We are all equal. Verses 21 through 24, the beginning of 24, say it like this. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. And yes, Paul is talking about what you think he's talking about there, right? Paul wants us to see that we are actually being absurd. It's crazy to think that we could see each other as not indispensable. Even the weakest members of our body, right? 
likely referring to sensitive uh, organs, internal or external, those are indispensable to the functioning of our body. So let me just voice something that not all of us, based on personality, are actually willing to voice. Some of us are too prideful to say this, but it's true for all of us, I think. We are all afraid of being dispensable. We all fear being thrown out and being gotten rid of and being on the outside. We don't like that because we weren't designed to be like that. We do not want to be used and tossed aside. We are consistently concerned about whether we fit in, right? I, this is so dumb, but I still find myself like internally wondering if I fit in with the high school baseball players that I coach. Really? Right? I'm almost 40 years old. I'm old enough to be some of their dads. And I'm wondering, do they think I'm cool? How ridiculous they don't, right? <laughs> That's the reality of it. But we all struggle with that feeling. And many of us, what we do to deal with that is we hop around to different communities. I don't even just mean faith communities, but we hop around into different sort of gatherings of people looking for the right fit. And if we're part of a local church, you need to hear this, we are indispensable, right? This is why I would say church membership matters so that we understand who is part of our body and so all of the other members are indispensable parts of our lives as well this is why it's important that when we gather together you understand that your presence here is not just about what you get out of the gathering right when you don't come on a sunday that's one less person's voice declaring god's truth when we sing that's one less person's face that is the testimony of God's grace that we can all look at when we greet one another. These things are not meaningless. Now let's keep going. Verse 24 at the end. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. So rather than being a sign of weakness, interdependency is actually God's design for the church. The church is supposed to be a microcosmic picture of a restored humanity, right? We are living in the new covenant era, right? We're, we're a picture of what life in the kingdom of God looks like. We're a picture of restored humanity, and God's intention for us is to reflect God's original restored intention for humanity, which was interdependence. God made Adam and Eve to depend on one another. He didn't just make one. What did he, he made Adam, and what did he say? And it was not good that he was alone. And so rather than embracing the hierarchy culture and the celebrity culture of the world, the church is called to be a counter-cultural community. I heard somebody say this, a pastor, and I thought this was really interesting. Um, you, none of you probably care about this or know about this, but there is a thriving culture of chasing celebrity if you're a pastor. That's like all anybody wants to talk about at conferences is grow your church huge and God did a big thing and it's like this temptation towards seeing people as a vehicle to grow something big, right? And it used to be that spiritual leaders would take vows of uh, poverty or vows of chastity and this person said, I wonder if it wouldn't be healthy for those of us who want to lead in the church and really all of us to maybe think about a vow of obscurity, that we would vow to live our lives just like regular people, because that's what we are. And to, if we never blow up anything big, I still lived a good life 
in the presence of Jesus. Right? And so we don't embrace the culture of hierarchy and celebrity. Instead, we embrace a countercultural community, which is how we have a prophetic witness into the world. In the, in the church, the weaker are indispensable, right? The less honorable, the unpresentable, those are the ones actually seen as deserving more honor and greater care. God has so composed the body, the church, that the members that don't fit in anywhere else in the world, those that are seen as weak or ugly or unpresentable, that the world, that, and that word unpresentable actually means shameful, that those who are walking around with shame, those of you who feel like an outcast for whatever reason, are actually uh, given the pri- a primary place of importance in the church. And the reason Paul gives for this is, that, is so that there would not be any divisions among us. Right? Look at verse 27. They say this, 27, 28. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church apostles, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Now, we're not going to get into the whole tongues thing. I know some of you are like, oh, man, really? Right? But not today. Paul says God has appointed, right? In the same way that God has composed our physical bodies for interdependence, he has also appointed the, the church, the body for interdependence, and has also appointed gifts... And look what they're intended for, to be used for the mutual care and the edification and the building up of the body. Your gifts are not for you, right? In the same way that each member of our own body contributes its unique gift to the rest of the body as it carries out its role, every Christian is intended to participate in a culture of mutual care for the body of Christ. And there's always room for growth in this. Like I'm preaching and hearing myself right now, right? And so in these ways, we see the beauty of interdependence. But unfortunately, this is not often what we see in churches. And this might be the single most often reason that I hear given that someone uh, tells me why they were hurt by the church. This might be the reason. I felt like an outcast because I wasn't good enough or I didn't have the right gifts. And Paul is coming along and saying, oh, church at Corinth and, and to you and me, That's not how it works in the kingdom of heaven. That's not how it works in God's church, right? What did Jesus say? The last will be first and the first will be last. It's upside down. So if the Bible lays out this paradigm for an alternate community of God's grace, why why is the church so often the place where there is hierarchy, celebrity culture, backbiting, etc., right? It's because there is a lack of interdependence because we view others as dispensable. Too often, we view other people like, ah, you know, we could deal without them. Again, one of our worst fears is to be considered dispensable, disposable, replaceable. And ironically, the way people attempt to guard against this sometimes is to inflate our view of self, right? I am indispensable, and then deflate our view of others. And because I'm indispensable, oh, you're dispensable, Right? And this is, I, I will, again, be transparent with you, this is an, a constant battle for me. And, and the way it manifests itself in my heart is that I, I constantly think that I am very good at everything. And the reality is, I'm not, right? But I assume, that's my personality type that needs to be 
that, that part of my flesh needs to be killed, needs to die. My assumption that I'm probably better at stuff than other people. It sounds ridiculous to say out loud, but that's what's in my heart. And so we can end up thinking that some people are indispensable, uh, some people can be replaced, and there is too often an application of like business principles to the way that we sort of look at each other in the church, rather than application of the, the principles we find in the Bible, which is the principles of covenant and mutual self-service. Okay, so think about consumers. What do consumers do? How do they relate to other consumers? Well, they relate to other consumers in ways that only consumers know when it comes to relating to others. People do this in an attempt to insulate ourselves from that feeling of being left out. But what we actually end up doing is isolating ourselves, and we almost make a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right? I don't want to be left out, so I'm going to leave this community to prevent that from happening. And what ends up? I'm left out. It creates a culture where other people are usable commodities. And so community itself becomes a commodity to be consumed instead of a way of life. And so if, this, if we're not careful, we can view others as dispensable when we fail to recognize the necessity of being in a diverse community of people. Verses 29 and 30 say this. Are all apostles, are all prophets... Are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? Those are rhetorical questions, right? To which the answer is, of course not. No, not all of us have those gifts. The church is incomplete unless its members operate in interdependence with one another. And I'm going to tell you, it's very difficult Right? It's very difficult to do that because all of us are sinful and imperfect and we take offense where none was given because we're trying to be interdependent and it's really difficult. But God has given various gift sets to individuals in the church. God has given every member gifts by his grace. Right? These are all grace gifts. But he has not given any individual member all the grace gifts. Let me just say that again for myself. God has not given any one of us, me, all of the gifts, right? Even if one of our grace gifts are those that are more readily visible, like the one I'm walking in right now, right? Teaching, speaking. That's one of my gifts, apparently, in this season for the church. We are incomplete without the gifts of others. And some of you know that from experience, from being on leadership teams with me in this church, right? We are incomplete in and of ourselves. In other words, if we look at all of the gifts that are kind of a mix of gifts, we need, there, there's this three offices that we see in the scriptures. There are, Jesus is prophet, priest, and king, okay? So there are gifts that fit into those buckets, prophetic gifts, priestly gifts, and kingly gifts. In addition, there can be a dark side to all of our gifts because humanity has fallen and we struggle with sin. So let's get some examples. For example, somebody who has a strong prophetic gift, right? And when I take the personality types, I score high in prophetic gifts. And what I'm about to say, some of you are like, oh, yeah, I've seen that. The shadow side of that is that those kind of people can tend to be a little impatient, right? Hey. <laughs> and that takes them away from being more pastoral and more relational, Others of us are very priestly. We're very pastoral. They shepherd people really well. 
but they might be a little inefficient in how they organize things, right? Certain members are kingly. We can get things done. We're really efficient. We can organize things and build systems with our time and the resources we have, but we might not be the best at being with people. We might abandon the people in the process because we just want to get the job done in the most productive way. And so there are potential shadow sides to these different gift mixes. And so God brings together all of these different parts. He puts them in this environment where there is mutual service and benefit for the entire body. Listen, guys, don't be the Holy Spirit for each other. All right. (laughs) And so there's necessity for the diversity of gifts in the body to the extent that others will be viewed as dispensable and God's design for the church and for all humanity will be missed. Right. We need all of the gifts. Nobody's dispensable. This is what's happening with the Corinthians. Rather than seeing God as the composer of the body and the giver of the gifts, the Corinthians are starting to view themselves as composers of their own lives, and they believed that they could basically attain skills and competencies through hard work, which is not all wrong. Everything all right? Do you want me to interrupt? <laughs> well, it's happening. Oh, okay. I don't for it. It, it's already paid for. He just said it's not. Okay. Well, <laughs> pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, everybody. <laughs> See, we need all the members. <laughs> uh, my fault for not telling her the pizza was coming. Sorry. Unplanned illustration. Thank you, Lord. But this is still the danger for us, these mistakes that the Corinthians are making. If we think that our identity can be built on our own, we will need to protect it and we will need to keep others at arm's length and maybe even below us in our view by insulating ourselves from the interdependency of the community. See, if you need to build your identity on what you can do, you will keep other people as dependent on you and not want yourself to be dependent on anybody else. And so we end up isolating ourselves from the context for which we were created, and we fail to be recipients of the full measure of God's grace to us that he intends for us. So because church-going Christians are oftentimes interested, if we're honest with ourselves, in self-protection and in self-care, we are unable to fulfill our role in the body, which is the mutual care for one another. And so we are called to suffer when others suffer, to rejoice when others rejoice. We like the rejoicing part, don't always like the suffer with others part. But sharing in the suffering of others seems to us to be too costly sometimes, right? Too inconvenient. So we become rebellious body parts. And in the process, we lose our identity as parts of the body, right? So in the body example, hands cease to function as hands are supposed to function. And so they ultimately can't share in the rejoicing of others. And so our gifts, given by the grace of God, become a place for competition and hierarchy, which is the opposite of God's heart for his church. If an individual is all about self-care rather than mutual care, their gifts become a means of distinguishing themselves from the body rather than using their gift in the service of the body. Right? So the question the Corinthians had to deal with is the same question for us. Are we, and I think in many ways our church is, a countercultural witness to the world, or is our church culture just a reflection of the culture around us? Okay, so here's some questions. 
In valuing the intellect, has there been an undervaluing of the heart? In valuing excellency, has there been an undervaluing of simplicity? Have the grace gifts of some members been overlooked because we overvalue the grace gifts of others? Have we viewed some people in our church as dispensable? And are we more concerned with self-care than mutual care? These are hard questions for us as a family to think through, but they are good questions. And the good news is that we always have a path to be able to recover God's vision for the church. And that path is the gospel, right? It can always be recovered first and most importantly, because Jesus could have viewed us as sinners as dispensable. But in his grace, he saw us as indispensable. In fact, he became dispensable in our place. And so the imagery of the body is not a generic imagery. It is specific. It is the body of Christ. The health, well-being, and future of the body are in the hands of the head who is Christ. So individual sinners have been incorporated into this body by grace. No one has earned our way in here. None of us have earned our way in here. Even if we have falsely thought that we are dispensable, the head of the body has declared that we are not. Some of you think that you are dispensable. I don't matter. But Jesus, death and resurrection for you, says that you do matter and that he does care about you. And so the most presentable part, the head, right? Jesus was willingly dishonored so that the less presentable parts, you and I, might receive honor. The strongest member of the body, Jesus, was made weak and dispensable in order that the weaker members, you and I, might be considered indispensable in him. And so this love, this understanding, transforms the sinner's reality. Christians need to recognize that we are utterly dependent on Jesus and the community in which he has placed us. Now, secondly, interdependence can be recovered because Jesus saves sinners, listen to me, from the myth of self-composition, that you can make yourself. We are God's composition, and he has made us a part of his body. Kids are coming back in. It's cool. Come back in, kids. Oh, I think they're going on the playground. Nice. Jealous. Interdependence can be recovered because Jesus saved sinners from the myth of self-composition. We are God's composition. He is the artist, and he has made us part of his body. The myth that is being told to us, one of them, is that we can compose ourselves to be anything that we want. You are being told this every day. You can be anything you want, and you can't. The problem with this is that we are constantly put into a state of wondering if what I have made myself into is valuable to anybody else. And we've gotten to the point where we want the world around us to never question what we've decided to make ourselves into. And the cultural values that we try to make our lives conform to can change at a moment's notice. And we all know this. And so what I thought would make me desirable is now out. And this is a, a, a loop that people are running on. But because Christians have been united to Christ's body by grace, here's what we're free to do. We are free to abandon all attempts at self-creation and at self-composition and to just rest in what God has made us to be. God made you good. 
There is no need to distinguish ourselves or compete for higher position in, in the body of believers. And I mean this body of believers, right? Because in the body of Christ, there is no higher position to be gained. There is not a hierarchy in here, right? The metaphor of the family holds true too. No one member of the family is the most important. We're all just in the family. There is no need to distinguish ourselves for higher position because there is no higher position to be gained. In Christ, the scriptures say we are all one. And the beauty of the gospel is that in Christ, anyone who trusts in Jesus has your position in his body secured. There isn't some second level you need to get to. You can rest in the fact that your identity is given to you by Christ. It's affirmed in community as we each bring to the community the grace gifts that we have been given. So maybe today, some of you will hear the Holy Spirit sort of provoking your spirit or calling you, if you will, to say, hey, I, I feel like I have this gift to bring to the table and I'd love to exercise it in order to serve the body. Some of us are exercising gifts and some of us have gifts that we would love to see exercise in our church family to care for one another. So if you're like, man, I don't know if this would be helpful, but man, come, we'll make a way for it to be helpful, right? We'll figure out how to plug your gift set in somewhere because we can always use it. But the most important thing to remember is that it is the gospel of Jesus that brings us together and draws us into this community of faith and makes us all indispensable to him. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for making us into a community. Thank you for making us into a family that is bound together by the blood of what you've done for us on the cross. And we just ask for your presence in us uh, to be made manifest as we gather together. And then uh, for your presence to go out into the world as we scatter when we leave today to go into our individual lives. Lord, I pray if there's anyone who is hearing this or in this room that is feeling down and like they are dispensable and not worth very much, Lord, I just pray for their peace to come into their heart, for your peace to come into their hearts and for them to know that there is nobody who is dispensable in the church, that all of us have something to bring and all of us are needed. And we pray this in your name. Amen.